this morning in your copy of the scriptures, I invite you with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. As we continue our study of the Gospel of Luke, picking up in chapter 12, verse 1, where we left off, we see Jesus in this context of Luke in the middle of several controversies, several engagements with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the scribes. We saw at the end of chapter 11 that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for their legalism, for the fact that they were attempting to live an external form of religion that was seen by people, but was not necessarily pleasing to God. And we saw Jesus emphasize the relationship of God in the heart and the development of the life of the spirit and true love of God and true love of neighbor that flows from the inside out. And in our passage this morning in Luke chapter 12, I believe that Jesus picks up on some of those same themes that he addressed with the Pharisees at the end of chapter 11. And specifically, I think the theme that holds chapter 12 verses 1 through 12 together is the idea of the fear of man versus the fear of God. And so we read in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have this time that you have given us to read your holy word, to meditate on it this morning, to think about its truths, what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is teaching us today from his words. 
Lord, I pray that even though we are not together in one place, assembled, that as we are spread spread abroad throughout our community and uh, watching online, Father, I still pray that your word would go forth, that your word would be received by open hearts and minds, and that your Holy Spirit would take this word of God and transform hearts and minds today. Lord, bless this time, I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. It's been a while now because my kids are older, but I remember when my kids were younger that we would read them uh, little children's books. And I remember one of the series that we used to read them often was this series of books for kids by, called The Berenstein Bears. And there was this one story in The Berenstein Bears that I think highlights uh, a principle that we are looking at this morning in Luke chapter 12. And it's a cute kid's story, but it highlights a very serious principle. In this story of the Berenstein Bears, uh, Brother Bear and Mama, Mama Bear are in the yard and they're doing some work. And uh, little Brother Bear are, is there and he's playing. And Sister Bear comes running home and she's crying. And the reason that she's crying is because Too Tall and his gang had been picking on Sister Bear and took her jump rope away. Well, Papa Bear and Mama Bear are trying to figure out how to handle this situation, but Brother Bear is upset and he is angry and he decides that he's going to go and he's going to handle this situation. So he goes and he confronts Too Tall and his gang and he demands that he give back Sister Bear her jump rope. And to his surprise, Too Tall actually agrees and he gives Brother Bear back her jump rope. But then Too Tall calls out to Brother Bear and says, hey, Uh, You want to hang with us and have some fun together? Of course, Brother Bear is uh, amazed. He's surprised by this because Too Tall's never invited him to do anything. And so Brother Bear says, sure, I'll I'll tag along with you guys. And so they're out and they are walking along and they come across Farmer Ben's watermelon patch. And Too Tall says, hey, go in there and steal one of Farmer Ben's watermelons. And... Brother Bear says, I can't do that. Uh, Farmer Ben's our friend. That would be wrong. We can't steal from him. And then Too Tall says these famous words that we've all heard in our lives. What are you, chicken? And he starts to make fun of Brother Bear and he starts to mock him. And he says, I dare you. I double dare you. I de-double dare you. And of course, that D-double dare, that got to Brother Bear and he says, okay, I'll do it. And he goes in and he takes one of Farmer Ben's watermelons. And just as he is getting ready to leave and escape, you know what happens. Farmer Ben catches him, catches him in the act of stealing. And Farmer Ben takes him in, sits him down and has a long, hard talk with Brother Bear about his actions and about his foolishness in following Too Tall and his crowd. And it's a cute kid story, but it reveals something that we all struggle with, not just as kids, but really throughout our whole lives. And that is the fear of man, the fear of people and of what other people will say about us, what other people say to us, what other people might do to us if we don't conform, if we don't fit in with the crowd, if we don't follow their path. And so we saw in that story that Brother Bear, even though he knew it was wrong to steal, he went along and did it because he was under this pressure from his peer group 
And he gave into that pressure. He gave into that fear of their opinion of him. And he did what he knew was wrong. And I think many of us, even as adults, we never grow out of this. And we still, even as adults, make decisions and run our lives based on what other people think of us out of fear of what other people might say or do. And Proverbs reveals to us in Proverbs 29, verse 25, the wisdom of God, when it says fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And so if we are motivated by the fear of man, then we are not motivated by the fear of God, which raises the question of the title of this sermon. Who are you afraid of? Who are you serving? Whose opinion do you care more about, people or God? And as we read through Luke chapter 12, I think we can see that theme pop up in several of the verses that we read there. And that is the idea of the fear of man. Who are we going to be afraid of? And so in verse 1 of our passage in Luke 12, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Apparently, when Jesus was issuing this severe rebuke to the Pharisees and the lawyers in the home of this Pharisee, a crowd had gathered outside. And Luke's language here is emphatic. This is not just your average crowd. This is a very large multitude, too many to count. There's no room for all the people and they're beginning to step on one another and trample each other down. It was a frenzy. It was a huge crowd. And so maybe Jesus' ministry is taking effect. Maybe he will be received by the multitudes after all. But hold on. Jesus is not himself that optimistic. He knows that his popularity is temporary. He knows what's really in the hearts of people. And he knows that all of this popularity is really just surface level. So Jesus responds with realism. And when he sees the crowd, he turns to his disciples and he says to them specifically, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He uses the illustration of yeast which we use in the baking of bread. And the reason he uses this illustration is because yeast has this uh, role of, of filling the whole loaf. And even just a little bit of yeast can influence the whole loaf of bread and cause the whole thing to rise. And so at this particular moment, he is telling his disciples to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees, specifically the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, which is so subtle, which can be so invasive into our hearts and so easily spreads. He says it's a trap. Don't fall into the trap of hypocrisy like the Pharisees. Why would he tell them this at this particular moment? Well, because right now they were the most popular people in the world because they were with the most popular man in the world at the moment. And so it is possible that the disciples might let this go to their heads and they might be lifted up in pride and they might be tempted to do things for the sake of the crowd 
to maintain and keep the crowd's favor. But Jesus warns them and he says, if you do that, then you're falling into the same trap of the Pharisees and their hypocrisy who do things in the sight of others to be seen by them, but they don't do it for God. And so the Pharisees did everything for the praise of men. They prayed these long, elaborate prayers in public so that people would notice them. They required the most elaborate greetings to be given to them. They wanted the praise and the adulation of the people. They desired the most important seats in the synagogue. They cared about position and place. They were motivated and driven by the praise of people. Therefore, they were hypocrites. They did what was required in front of others to make a good show, but inside their hearts, they were as black as midnight. And Jesus warns his disciples to not fall into that trap of hypocrisy. In other words, if you try to hang on to this crowd, hang on to this popularity, it may lead to a double life. An effort to maintain popularity leads to hypocrisy and deceit. Why? Because you can't consistently please everyone. And so if you try to please people, you're going to end up being a double-minded person. You're going to end up stepping on yourself because you can't please everyone. And so you'll be changing your mind often just to please whoever is the crowd at that moment. People are fickle. And so if you're going to please people, you're going to have to play a different tune depending on who's in the room or what the mood of the crowd is. And so Jesus warns them, do not fall into that trap. Don't fall into the trap of trying to hold on to the popularity of the people. It will not last and you will have to end up being a hypocrite and an actor in order to do it. And that may work for a little while because people are not always around. You can put on a temporary show, but the problem is, is that God sees what is going on backstage behind the curtain in our hearts. Because verse two says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. In other words, there is coming a time when the secrets of people's hearts will be revealed, including thoughts and motives. All the doors will be opened. All the camouflage will be removed. All the hiding places will be discovered. And what you have said in secret will be publicly known by God at the judgment seat and revealed to all. It doesn't matter if you whispered it in the innermost closet of your heart, it will be revealed. The all-knowing God will reveal it all. The everywhere present God will be a witness to it all. So the bottom line is that you cannot hide anything from God. The thing that you do in secret when no one else is looking, God sees it. Not just some of the time, but all the time. Those thoughts you have that only you know about, there's someone else who knows about them. And that is God. God knows our actions, our words, our thoughts, and our motives. And he will shine the bright light of his glory on all of our deeds and thoughts and motives. And so again, the warning, do not be a hypocrite. Don't fall into the trap of the yeast of the Pharisees. Don't try to please people and hang on to that popularity of the crowd because God sees your heart. 
He knows why you are doing what you're doing, and he will hold you accountable for it. That's why he says in verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verses four and five bring the theme of this passage front and center. Don't fear man. Don't fear people. Rather fear God because God knows all. God will reveal all. He is the one who should be feared. Why? Because he holds the bigger sword, Jesus says. These people that we're afraid of, we're afraid of their opinions or what they think of us or what we think they might do to us. What can they really do? What can they really hurt us with? Yeah, they can say words against us. They can insult us. They can tear us down. They can fire us from our job. They can sue us and take our property away. They can write about us in the newspaper opinion columns or online. They can talk about us when we're not around. They can slander our names. They can lie about us and ruin our names and our reputation. They can yell at us. They can make life pretty miserable for us. They can laugh at us and ridicule us. They can beat us up. They can even kill us, Jesus says. And Jesus then says, but is that all? Is that all they can do? That's all they can do. All they can do is kill you. Notice the eternal perspective of Jesus. It doesn't really matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter what insults are thrown at you. It doesn't matter what fists are thrown at you. It doesn't matter if you're killed in the body. What matters more for all of eternity is what God does with you. And so Jesus says that's all they can do. People can only mess with you and do you harm for the time that you are on this planet, in this life. And they can cut short your time on this planet, in this life. They can take your life. And that's a pretty sharp sword, but God has a bigger sword. He can cut short your earthly life, but he can also cut short your eternal life when you face judgment. By the way, no one can take you out of this world until God says it is okay for you to be taken out of this world. So even the fear of people of what they might do to you, they can only do that if God permits and allows them to do it. And even if we do die for the sake of doing what is right, what is more important is what God thinks of us when we stand before his judgment seat. Hebrews reveals to us that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. Who makes that appointment? It is appointed unto man once to die. God does. God makes that appointment. Your life cannot be taken one second before God is ready for it to be taken. Your life will not last one second longer than God is ready for it to last. So God can take you out of this world, but there is something else too. God can send you to hell. And that is for all of eternity. You see, the temptation of the disciples 
would be to try to please the crowd and appeal to them to gain their favor so as to avoid persecution and perhaps even martyrdom. They knew the power of the Pharisees. They knew the power of the scribes and the chief priests. And so I have no doubt that the disciples were sometimes a little nervous when Jesus would engage in these hostile controversies with the Pharisees and the scribes. And so Jesus warns them, don't fall into their trap. Don't live life trying to please them or trying to please the crowd or stay in their favor. If you try to stay in their favor in order to avoid persecution, then you're acting a certain way and doing certain things for fear that people may cut short your life. But Jesus says, so be it. That's all they can do. But God can do more. He also has the power to cast you into hell. Whom should you fear? Jesus says, fear God, who has eternal authority over your soul. Martin Luther was the leader of the Reformation in Germany in the 1500s. And in his initial opposition to some of the teachings of the Catholic Church, he was summoned to the city of Worms to defend his views and his writings that opposed the teachings of the Pope and the Catholic Church. Luther's opponent at this council was the Archbishop of Trier, John Eck. John Eck said to Martin Luther at that trial, Martin Luther, do you recant of the heresies in your writings? Do you defend them all or do you care to reject a part? So John Eck was putting Martin Luther on on defensive and said, are you going to stand by these writings that you have said in defiance of the Catholic Church and the Pope or here and now, are you willing to recant to change some of those views? And Luther gave this answer. He says, this touches God and his word. This affects the salvation of souls. Of this, Christ said, He who denies me before men, him will I deny before the Father. To say too little or too much would be dangerous. I beg you, give me more time to think it over. So Luther asked for 24 hours to consider the situation. And that night, Martin Luther and his colleagues passionately called out to God in prayer. And with the rising of the sun, another larger hall was chosen for the meeting. And it was so crowded that scarcely anyone except the emperor could sit down. John X spoke long and eloquently in the flickering candlelight, defending the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. And then he said to Martin Luther, I ask you, Martin, answer candidly and without horns. Do you or do you not repudiate your books and the errors which they contain? Luther spoke and his voice rang in the great hall. Since your majesty and your lordships desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, 
I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. And at that moment, Luther's massive fear of God freed him from the fear of man. Proverbs is right. Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. It is a trap. You're in bondage when you try to please people. When you are motivated by the praise or the punishment of other people, you're in bondage to that trap that you have laid for yourself. You see, it is much easier to please one than it is to please many. It is much easier to have one master than to have many masters. So when you are worried about what people think or what people might do, you are trapped and you are not free to do as you would like or free to do what your conscience requires. That makes you a hypocrite and it puts you in bondage to many masters. When you do not do what your conscience requires for fear of what others may do or think, you have become a hypocrite. So Jesus says to his disciples and to us, fear God because he is the one who knows all and has the power to punish for all of eternity. But not only does God have the power to punish, he also has the power to provide. Sometimes we fear people because of what they might do to us in punishment, but sometimes we fear people because we want something from them. But Jesus now says, you don't need anything from other people. You depend upon God for your provision. And so he says in verse six, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. People cannot punish like God can punish but neither can they provide like God can provide. The fear of God and his all-knowing presence can also bring incredible comfort. It can cause us to be at peace. When we fear God, we don't have to fear what people think. Our Lord is aware of the needs of those who belong to him. And Jesus' argument here is from the lesser to the greater. Look how insignificant five little sparrows are, Jesus says. They're cheap. Sparrows were the cheapest thing sold in the market. They're not worth much in our eyes. If one of them dies, it is of little significance to us, but God knows about every single one of them. Not one of them escapes God's notice. Then he says, all of your hairs are numbered. In other words, he knows every detail about you. He knows how many hairs you have. And for us to lose a hair, one hair, it's not that big of a deal, but God knows every single one. And the point is that God knows everything about you. He knows your situation. He knows if you have a difficult job or a difficult boss. He knows about your marriage situation. He knows about your situation with your extended family. He knows about this difficult situation that you might have with your neighbor. He knows what health issues you might have or what discouragement or depression issues you may have. 
God knows your situation. He knows all about you. And surely someone who knows you that well will also care for your needs because he is good. He is a good God. And the argument from the lesser to the greater comes in at the end. You are more important than many sparrows. So God knows about the sparrows. He cares about the sparrows. Not one falls from the sky without his notice. And then Jesus says, you're more important than that. God will certainly not forget about you and your troublesome situation. And so what is Jesus' advice based on God's provision? He says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But wait a second. A couple of verses ago, didn't he say to be afraid of God? Yes, he did. He said, fear God, the one who can cast both soul and body into hell. But now he says, don't be afraid. Why? Because when we fear God, we don't have to be afraid of anything else. When we fear God and trust him, we don't have to be afraid of anything else. So when you fear God, there's really nothing to be afraid of. But what happens when you're driven by the fear of man and the praise of man? You're constantly worrying. You're constantly worrying, anxious, fretting about what other people will say or think or do. When you're driven by the fear of man, there is no peace. There is no security. And your life is one big worry. You're trapped. It is a snare. Set yourself free from that trap and from that anxiety by fearing God. Do you remember the second half of Proverbs 29, verse 25? Fear of man proves to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever fears the Lord and trusts in him, he's safe. If you fear God, there's nothing to be afraid of. And so to put Proverbs 29, 25 in Jesus' terminology in Luke 12, to trust in the Lord is to fear the Lord. And when you fear God, you'll be safe. Isn't that what Jesus is saying in Luke 12? When you fear God, you don't need to fear because God is going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. God's going to watch over you. Well, what happens if people kill us? Well, so be it. God is still watching over you and God will bring you home to eternal glory as he has promised that he would do. Then Jesus brings this fear of man into a particular application in the arena of our testimony before others. In verses eight and nine, he says, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Verses 8 and 9 have to do with a response of faith to Jesus Christ and how one holds on to that faith and that confession even in times of opposition and persecution. That is when it is real. Do you or do you not believe in Jesus Christ? That question was asked to many a believer in Christ just before they were about to be executed. That is the test of someone's faith. And Jesus is saying here that that test essentially reveals 
who is mine, who belongs to me, and who are really hypocrites, false professors. Those who remain faithful to him and confess their loyalty to Christ publicly, Jesus will remember and say your name before the angels of God in glory. But to those who deny Jesus and recant, saying, I don't know Jesus, I don't believe in him, God will say to them on judgment day, depart from me, for I never knew you. Why would someone deny Christ in that situation? That is an intense, life-threatening situation, isn't it? Why would someone be tempted to deny Christ in that situation? Because they were afraid of what people might do to them. They're afraid of losing their life. They're afraid of those who could kill the body. And so then by denying Christ, they revealed where their real allegiance is, is to their, themselves and their life in this world. They're more loyal to people and ultimately themselves because they cared more about their physical life than they cared about God and eternal life. Jesus has already said this back in Luke chapter 9. We've already looked at it together in Luke 9, 24 and 25. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Ultimately, this passage seems to be about separating false believers from true believers. And true believers fear God, not man, when it comes to the ultimate question of the giving of one's life. A true believer will stake his life on his faith in God, and he will not recant, and he will fear him who can not only kill the body, but can also cast both body and soul into hell. And so if that is the case, at the last moment of life, if that is what separates a true believer from a false believer at that moment, is whether they fear God or man, then what does that say about so many professing Christians who spend their lives worrying about what other people might say or think? Who are we serving? Who do we care about? Who are we trying to please? Who do we really fear? Who are we serving? Are we a hypocrite like the Pharisees concerned about what people thought about them? Or are we genuine? Are we really serving the Lord? Now, when I say that we shouldn't fear people, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about people. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't love people. That doesn't mean that we should totally ignore people and never seek their counsel or advice. But we are called as believers to, yes, consider the needs of other people and to serve them. But we are not called to fear them and to submit to their opinions about our lives, especially when it is contradictory to the word of God. So being considerate of other people and being concerned about the spiritual well-being of other people is not the same thing as running your life in an attempt to seek the praise of other people or avoid the criticism or punishment of other people. Ultimately, your loyalty needs to be to God and his word. And now in verse 10, we come to one of the most controversial passages in Luke and really in all of the Gospels. And we cannot spend very much time on it this morning, but I think focusing our attention on the context 
actually helps us understand this controversial verse. Because Luke 12, verse 10 says this, And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. This is one of the most asked questions of believers to pastors and Bible scholars. What does the sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit mean? Because Jesus says here, you can speak against the Son of Man and be forgiven, but you cannot speak or blaspheme against the Holy Spirit because that will not be forgiven. And so it's a very serious thing that Jesus is talking about here. A lot of ink has been spilled on this verse. Whole books, papers, dissertations have been written in an attempt to understand what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. A lot of different suggestions that explain the meaning of this verse. But let me offer what I think are the two most probable and then the one that I think is the best explanation in the context. If all I had to go on was the context of Luke, I would say that the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is essentially parallel with apostasy and denying that you are a believer in Christ when you are put before the councils. That's the context in which it's in, in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you in heaven. But if you confess me before men, then I will confess you in heaven. And a little bit later on, Jesus is going to say that when you are before councils and people confront you, don't worry about what you'll say because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. So in other words, if you're at that moment and the Holy Spirit says you're a believer in Christ, so confess that you're a believer in Christ, that is how a true believer would then respond. I am a believer in Christ. But to go against that confession, to in essence deny that you know Christ, is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and to so then be unforgiven at the judgment day. So I, the one possibility of verse 10 is that this denying the Holy Spirit or blaspheming the Holy Spirit is fully and finally denying Jesus Christ when put before a tribunal or public determination of your loyalty to Christ. And so in the context of Luke, the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is surrounded by remaining true to the faith in Jesus Christ in the face of persecution. So I see that as a very viable interpretive option. Just as Jesus will not confess your name before the angels in heaven, if you deny him before men, so also the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven you. In other words, both sins are eternally condemning. Therefore, it is possible to see them as parallels. However, as I said, if all I had was the context of Luke, that is how I would see it. But Matthew and Mark also mention this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And in their context, it is not so closely associated with public apostasy in the face of persecution. In Mark's gospel, it is very closely associated with the charge that Jesus was casting out demons in the power of Satan. In Matthew's gospel, it is also closely associated with that charge by the Pharisees that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan. But in Matthew, there is a verse that precedes his statement about the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. And there he said in Matthew 12 and verse 30, whoever is not with me 
is against me and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And then right after that, Jesus talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because of the different contexts, I believe the sin against the Holy Spirit is broader than just apostasy as it is here in Luke. Frankly, I think it includes apostasy as Luke has it, but I think it includes also a final and complete rejection of Jesus Christ. In other words, unbelief. Unbelief and the rejection of Jesus Christ is the sin for which there is no remedy. So whether you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then later deny him, or whether you never claim to be a follower of Jesus and totally deny him, I believe either of those falls under the sin, the category of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Those who ultimately reject Jesus Christ in this life will be rejected by God on judgment day and it will not be forgiven. So whether it is in the face of persecution or whether it is attributing to Jesus the powers of the devil or whether it's just living your life for your own purposes and ignoring Jesus Christ to fully and finally reject Jesus as the son of God and the sovereign savior is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit who testifies of him. And that is the sin that will not be forgiven and will result in eternal condemnation. And so when they bring you before the synagogues and magistrates to try you and to test you to get and to see if you're loyal to Christ, do not deny him. If you confess him, he will confess you before God the Father. If you deny him, he will deny you before God the Father. Do not let your potential last words be ones of unbelief. Jesus says, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. God is your provider. You are more important to him than sparrows. And when and if you are placed in this difficult situation, of suffering persecution and having to testify whether or not you belong to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, God will help you. The Holy Spirit will help you. Please don't take verses 11 and 12 as an excuse to not study and learn the word of God. Do not take this passage to mean that study is not necessary. God will tell you what to say. Many a preacher or teacher has taken this out of context to think that God is going to tell them what to say when they get up behind the pulpit or lectern, when they've done no study or preparation for their sermon. Paul told Timothy to diligently study the scriptures so that he might handle and interpret it properly. So do not think that accurate interpretation of the scriptures comes without the hard and diligent work in the preparation and study of the Bible, because it does not. This is not an invitation to neglect study and the development of your mind in learning God's truth. Rather, this is a promise of help to those who are placed in life's most difficult situation. They may have to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit will give them grace and will help them say what they need to say. And what they need to say is, yes, I do believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior and my Lord. To those who are his, the Holy Spirit will assist you on that day and help in that day of trial. 
the fear of God can cause a true disciple of Jesus to not be afraid when he is standing before an execution tribunal ready to take his life. The fear of God can cause a disciple of Jesus Christ to boldly proclaim his name when faced with martyrdom. And now for us here in the United States, that might seem like a remote thing. But for our brothers and sisters around the world in various places, this is a very real scenario that many of them might face today. When they go to worship together as the people of God, they may face persecution and perhaps martyrdom for their faith. This is not a hypothetical scenario for many people. And perhaps soon, even in our own land, this will not be a hypothetical scenario. We must remain faithful to God and fear Him, even in the most difficult moments of life. The bottom line of this message is this. A disciple of Jesus Christ fears God, not man. A disciple of Jesus Christ fears God, not man. Does that describe you? Or would you better be described as one who constantly worries about the opinions of others? Are you always wondering what people might say about you behind your back? Are you concerned that you might be ridiculed if you give the gospel to a coworker or a neighbor? Are you worried about what your unsaved family member might say if you tell them about Jesus Christ? Are you more worried about losing your job than doing what is right and honest in the sight of God? If your life is dominated by the fear of man now, what makes you think that you would be able to stand there with a gun to your head and say that you believe in Jesus Christ? If you're afraid to be a witness to your neighbors now, what makes you think that you will have the boldness to be a witness when your life is on the line? If you make decisions in your life based on what people think now, what makes you think that you will be able to make a decision based on what God thinks when it really matters? Set yourself free from the constant fear of man and fear God instead, because that is what a disciple of Christ does. Jesus is telling us as his disciples in this passage, set yourselves free. Because when you fear God, you don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything else. Let's bow in prayer together. Father in heaven, we come before you And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to take to heart these words of the Lord Jesus, to take them seriously in our lives, and, Father, to apply them to our hearts. Lord, may your Spirit do his work through his word that only he can do in our hearts and minds. Father, take your word and accomplish your good purposes in our lives. And we pray this, Father, in the name of Christ. Amen.